to just finish off this uh, thinking about a call to arms that you are calling us to. Help us, Lord, to go out in excitement and to go out having made a commitment to you. Lord, wherever we are and wherever we've been, help us to really decide that tomorrow's a new day and that that new day is going to be um, a day where we understand that we are in a battle and that we will pick up the arms that you have given us and we will go out calling other people to you. So I, I thank you, Lord, for all that you've done today and all that you will do in this last session. And I want to say, Lord, we want to say that we love you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. <coughs> um, so, um, just one other small notice, and, and that is that we sent a, news, a newsletter out and, uh, a week or so ago, and I think some people didn't receive it. If you didn't receive it, would you let Rosie know at the back? Give her your email address. Um, if you didn't receive it and you'd like to receive it, <laughs> just tell her that you didn't get it. And um, um, Yeah, thank you. Okay. So we've reached the end, and uh, during this session, I want to look at Second Chronicles chapter 20. But before we get there, I want to uh, talk a little bit more about the armor that uh, Paul tells us about in Ephesians 6. Um, hopefully, everybody now, if you didn't before, you understand that we are in a war, that we are in a battle, and that we have to stand up and fight. Um, that list that I gave you from Joshua 1, really important. Arise, that is get up, get up and go in and cross this Jordan. And uh, I think that's God's word to each of us, that we have to get up. We have to be awake and alert and understand that we have to do something in this battle that we're in. Uh, but it's also important, and we talked just in this last session about the arms that we've been given, and two of them, we talked about prayer and the word of God and how they work together and how prayer is a weapon actually and how it, it's, it's interwoven with the word of God and um, hopefully you'll go on to look at the scriptures about that and uh, but the armour that Paul talks about in Ephesians 6 is also important and um, because uh, we have to understand the reality of if we answer the call to arms then we are stepping out into the battlefield you may not have done that before you know um, and it's hard to tell, but it's not a physical thing. You're not going to go from one place to another place and suddenly find yourself in the middle of a battlefield. So you won't actually see the difference, but it's really important to know what is the armour that you're putting on and why would you need that sort of armour? Because remembering always that um, Paul starts that with, uh, finally, brethren, stand uh, firm in the Lord and in the strength of his might and put on the full armour of God, for our battle is not against flesh and blood. So it's important that we understand we're not fighting an enemy we can see, and therefore the armour that we put on is not something we can see. Everything we have, the arms, the armour, everything, is not a physical thing. We're not fighting physical enemies. People are not our enemies. Sometimes our enemy wants us to think that they are, but they're not. And so the armour, could somebody read Ephesians 6 and just go through those verses um, 10 to, uh, let's read 10 to 17, can we? Well, 10 to 18, actually. Ephesians 6, 10 to 18. Someone just read those out quickly. Finally, be strong in the Lord, and in his mighty power. Put on the full armour of God, so that you can take your stand 
just in mind be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. Thank you. Okay, so I'm um, just running through those quickly because I'm sure you've heard lots of teaching on what the um, armour is and, and what it's like, remembering that none of it's physical. So the belt of truth, um, I take that to be the whole counsel of the Word of God. So from beginning to end, the truth about who God is, what he's done, how he's done it. Um, so put on the belt of truth. If, you, if I had a cardboard cutout or a, a, a statue here of a Roman centurion, that's what Paul based his picture on. So the Roman centurion would have his belt and that would hold every other piece of armour in place. So without the whole counsel of God, without the full and complete counsel of God, you're not going to be able to hold the other bits of armour on, on. So that's why it's important to read the whole Bible, Old and New Testament. That's why it's important to try and connect the dots, to try and ask the Lord to show you how that thread runs through from Genesis to Revelation. And that's important because once you start to understand the character of God, that's the firm ground on which you stand. And so, um, so the, the belt of truth, uh, the whole counsel of God, he is God. He is the Redeemer. He is the, the Lord, he is the creator, he is the possessor of all things. He is all those things that you know that the Bible teaches. He is, um, the gospel is real, for example. He is the forgiver, he is, you are completely forgiven, you are redeemed, you are saved. Uh, all of those wonderful things that make up the belt of truth, that you are a child of God and that he will never leave nor forsake you. Um, all of those things make up this belt that's going to hold everything together. Why do you need the armour? Just to remind us. Because you're in a battle and because the enemy attacks. He attacks. Now think about it. Why do you need to know the whole counsel of God? I, I mean, look, put this really practical. Why do you need to know the whole counsel of God? If that is the belt of truth, why do you need to know the whole counsel of God? Because if, it holds everything else together. I mean, what's the point in standing up there as a centurion and having everything fall down? If you don't have the whole counsel of God, every other piece of armour falls down, with maybe the exception of the, the um, shield of faith. But anyway, that's what it was for. It was, it was for that. So breastplate of righteousness. What's the breastplate of righteousness? What's that about? That's Christ's righteousness, not yours. So put on his righteousness. Remind yourself that it's not your righteousness that you're standing in. It's his righteousness. So when the enemy comes and he tells you what a failure you are and how there's still that sin in your life and you haven't done this and you haven't done that because that's the primary weapon of of, um, of Satan. That's how he wants to attack you, is to tell you how useless you are and how weak you are and what sinner you are and how you haven't changed and how all of that stuff, that breastplate of righteousness, you can say to him quite honestly, oh, you're so right. You're so right. But my breastplate of righteousness is not my righteousness. It's the righteousness of Christ. Whatever Satan throws at you, you can be sure will be true. Almost always. If it's about you, it will be true. So just give him that ground. It's, yes, that's true. I am a sinner. I, was, I did do this. I'm still doing that. You know, yes, I'm not perfect. But I stand in the perfect righteousness of Christ. He is the breastplate of righteousness. His righteousness is my righteousness. He is a holy, holy, holy God. And he is covering me. And what's the breastplate? What does the breastplate of righteousness cover? 
your heart. It covers the center of you, actually. Your innermost being. Um, so, um, he is, when the enemy attacks, as I say, you just remember that you're standing in your own, in, not in your own righteousness, but in his. So, you've got the belt, the belt of truth. You've got the breastplate of righteousness. What's on your feet? The gospel. I, because I am secure in Christ's righteousness, because I know the whole counsel of God, because I know who God is, there's still more to know, but I know who he is. I know he is creator and finisher. I know that he'll, he was there at the beginning and he'll be there at the end. I know everything in between has been working for his glory and for our redemption. I know all of those things. I can stand absolutely securely in the shoes of the gospel. <laughs> I can go out, walking out in the, with the gospel, with no fear. I'm not telling anybody lies. I'm telling them the truth. I'm giving them a way to, uh, to salvation. I'm speaking out the message of God that is his power unto salvation. And I'm not going to be afraid because I'm covered in Christ's righteousness and I have the whole counsel of God. I know this God that I'm recommending. And I'm indeed a new creation because of that gospel. And... Um, um, and I can live for his glory because part of the gospel message is that I am being transformed even as I go. Um, then I hold up the shield of faith. What's the shield of faith? What will it do? Yeah, it'll extinguish Satan's arrows. All the truth, all the taunts that he throws at you about... Why are you bothering to do that? You, can you really do that? Do you really think God would work through you? Look at you, you're old or you're young or you're, you know, you can't do this or you can't do that or you're sick or you're whatever. All of that stuff that he throws at you, you are holding up the shield of faith. And what God says about faith is that it is through faith that he protects you. First Peter chapter 1 verse three, uh, 5 says that uh, we are protected by the power of God through faith. So it's our faith that God uses to protect us. What happens if you haven't got any faith? What happens if you, put, if you try to put on armour and you haven't got any faith? <coughs> Satan's arrows are going to find their mark, aren't they? They're going to come through. So we have to have faith. What is faith? Faith is just you're trusting that what God says is true. You're just trusting that he is honest, that he is faithful, that he is just. Did you know that the Old Testament word for truth is faithfulness? So 99% of the time in the Old Testament, when you read about truth, God is talking to you about his faithfulness. So God's truth is also his faithfulness. That means whatever he says, whatever is true that he speaks, he is faithful to do. So that's your sword of faith. And on your head, what's, what's going on your head? Helmet. helmet of salvation. Helmet of salvation. The, yeah, the word of God, the helmet of salvation. What, what, where's the biggest uh, place of attack? Your mind. The enemy wants to attack your mind. The world wants to attack your mind. The society wants to attack your mind. Um, even your own flesh wants to attack your mind. It wants to make you think the way it wants to make you think. And so the helmet of salvation, what is that then? 
It's that I don't belong to you anymore. <laughs> I'm saved. I am a person who is saved and I have this protection around my mind. And inside that protection, I am renewing my mind every day with the truth. Alan says the word of God. So the helmet itself is the word of God because it is helping me to renew my mind and therefore be transformed. So can you see all of these things? Actually, the armor is weaponry. It is weaponry because it's as good to withstand the arrow as it is to fire an arrow. You know, Satan is coming at us all the time. And if he cannot hurt you, he can't stop you. So it's only when you allow him the space to get in. Sorry, I don't know what that, oh, I know what that is. It's when you allow him the space that he can then uh, do some damage. So you put on the armour and you, he, um, he can't do it. Now, Paul will say in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3 to 6, can you remember those verses without going there? No, you can't. Who can? 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3 to 6. Paul again, he says very much the same thing as he said in Ephesians. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. And we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. And we are ready to punish all disobedience whenever your obedience is complete. Um, who's Paul writing to? He's writing to believers. He's writing to believers. He's not writing to non-believers. He is writing to believers who are not living for God, who are not living the way they should live. And that's why he talks about punishing disobedience, because he's, he wants to, to get them to understand that they have an enemy and that they need to be fighting that enemy. And that enemy is erecting fortresses and strongholds in their mind, and they have to be active to pull them down. And he says that the weapons we have are what? divinely powerful. What are the weapons of a Christian? I mean, yes, the word of God, that's the sword of the spirit. But what are your weapons with which to fight the enemy? Prayer, the word, yeah, we've done those. So they're the primary ones. But what, what else is, hmm? praise and worship, yeah. So we're going to cover that a minute in a minute. So prayer, the word and praise, stroke worship, they are the three primary weapons. But you've got other weapons. I've just said that the armour is weapons. So what are the weapons? What can Satan not... What, will he, what, what can you do or be that will effectively destroy the works of the enemy? How do you, how do you fight? You fight with truth, right? How do you fight the enemy? You fight with righteousness. You fight with holiness. You fight with faithfulness. These are weapons. They're weapons. Your righteousness, the righteousness that Christ is working out in you, is a weapon against the enemy. Your holiness is a weapon against the enemy of your soul. Your evangelism is a weapon. Your faith is a weapon. All of those things are weapons against the enemy. Why? 
Why can we call them weapons? Because he is powerless to resist them. He cannot come against you. You're, if you're fighting him with your righteousness and your holiness and your faith and the truth of God, he cannot fight that. He is defeated by those things. No, he can't. He can't imitate holiness. When you fight with those things, when you fight with, there's nothing you can say to me. I am a redeemed, forgiven child of God. I am not ashamed of myself. I am not ashamed of anything about my salvation. I am no longer ashamed. Why? Because there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because the old has gone and the new has come. I am fighting Satan with my faith. You can come at me with anything you like, but I can tell you that I know that I know that I know that I know that Christ is God, that he died for me, that he was resurrected and that I am headed for glory. You cannot fight that against me. You, I'm going to hold up my faith. I'm going to hold up my... I'm going to talk, spread the gospel. I'm going to go out there with Maureen and share the gospel. And I'm going to tell people about the Lord Jesus. And the enemy cannot stop me from doing that. He cannot fight me on that. Because I'm speaking truth and I'm speaking with the powerful words of the gospel. For the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. Nothing can withstand it. The fortresses and strongholds that are erected in our minds have to come down. They are torn down by these weapons. You have to fight the strongholds in your mind with your own righteousness. Do you see what I mean? So I'm not talking about, you know, your righteousness is like, like this thin. But you are to come back, you are to live in that righteousness. Ask the Lord, make me more righteous, Lord. Work out in me what you've already covered me in. I'm covered in the righteousness of God, of Christ. I want that to be on the inside. I want to become what I already am. I want to be righteous as you are righteous. I want to be holy as you are holy. And I want to use that holiness as a weapon against the enemy to say to him, I used to be like that, but I'm not like that anymore. Look at me. I'm like my holy God. Do you know what I mean? And that's not blasphemous. That's just me growing in righteousness. That's what the whole New Testament says. We are to be growing in righteousness. When you grow in righteousness, there's no room for strongholds in your mind. There's no room for fortresses. They have to go. Even the, the methods that, that we're told to use by the world and that's, that come so much into the church and our human thinking, our human thinking is so upside down to God's thinking. You cannot trust yourself. You cannot trust your thinking. You have to completely reverse it. You have to be saying to yourself, what I think is weak and, and rubbish, God says is just exactly what he's going to use. I mean, who would have come as the saviour of the world as Jesus came? Tell me, would you ever have thought of that plan? Never. And what the whole world looks at and sees as weakness is actually the power of the universe. I, it's, who would ever have known that? Jesus, what does it say? He humbled himself even to death on a cross. Are you ready to humble yourself 
to say, Lord, I am not where I want to be, but I'm going to let you take me where you want me to be. Are you ready to do that? Because your human thinking will tell you that's not it. There must be more. There must be something more flamboyant. But God says that's the way strongholds are destroyed. That's how they're pulled down. They're pulled down by your decision to fight the sin in your life with righteousness, to fight it with assurance of salvation, to fight it with the truth, to fight it with faith. Speak the gospel to your own soul. Speak the gospel to your own soul. I have been saved by the power of God. I've been saved by the power of God. I mean, even the words are just amazing. And fight back these strongholds in your own mind. Paul is speaking to Christians in Corinthians. He says, we are destroying speculation and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. And we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Start taking every thought captive. That's a weapon. It's a weapon that you use to fight the enemy. Because it's the enemy who's bringing the thoughts into your head. It's the enemy who's sending those in. Yeah. And the thing is, I mean, the, the most awful thing to understand is that Paul is writing this to the church. Isn't it? I mean, it's a shameful thing, really, that he's having to write to this church. That they are behaving so badly that... He's got to write to them these things. But every carnal thought, every fleshly thought, everything in your mind, everything that tells you not to do what you know to do, you need to fight. You need to fight. So whenever you get that thought, well, they've heard the gospel a million times, or um, someone else might have preached to them, I'm, I'm not going to preach. God doesn't want me to talk to them talk to them. God doesn't want me to give them the word. God doesn't want me to give them the gospel. He'll use somebody else. He'll use Maureen. He'll use Sheila. He'll use someone else. That's a lie from the enemy. That's a lie. Every time you think you're never going to make it, I can't have a ministry, I'm not good enough, I'm, I'm this, I'm that, I'm too sick, I've got nothing to do, that's a lie. You have to fight that lie with the truth. And you do that as you read the word and take it into your soul. And I, I do want to say this because somebody said very early on that um, they talked about digesting the word. And uh, that's, I think, something that we don't often think about. We have to digest the word um, and determine to be changed by it. But we're not reading the word, studying the word, practicing the word, sharing the word as an end in itself. See, the whole point about the word is that it's the path to God. So uh, I'm conscious that everyone's getting tired, so sharpen up a little bit, right? Because this is important. Um, well, it's all important. It's all God's word. But, um, it's not the word itself the word has power. It is the power of God unto salvation. But the word of God leads you to God. God is the goal. He's the prize. He's the, 
He's everything. And his word is simply the path to get there. So what happens is as you read the word and as you digest the word, you get closer to God. So now you can read that God is the redeeming God. Right? He's a redeemer. So you read that and you know it and you memorize the verses. Right? But it's only when you get to God and you see him redeem you that you know the word is true and it led me here. So I know that God is a redeemer because he has redeemed me. And I know that he is still redeeming me from the various issues and sins and everything else in my life. I know he's the redeemer because I've been redeemed. It's not his word only that that has done. It's him. So can you see what I mean? So how do you know that God is a forgiving God? Because you're forgiven. But how do you know you're forgiven? Because the word tells you that. But how do you know it? Do you know Not just the word, because the word is leading you to God. So the, you, the, you, you know you're forgiven. You get to God. You, you, you know that this word, that God is a forgiving God, and it takes you to God. And so you're now with God, and you know much more about him. How will you know that you're with God? Exactly. You will know when you forgive other people. You will know then, I'm a forgiven child of God. How could I ever forgive anyone if I were not first forgiven? Yeah. Now, you don't need to tell me God's a forgiving God. I know him to be the forgiver because I find myself forgiving and that's him in me. Can you see what I mean? So the word of God is not just simply the word of God because I think lots of, I mean, even the enemy knows the word of God. Yeah. He, he can quote it. So it's the word of God is supposed to lead us somewhere and that it leads us to God. And when we get to God, we find that we are changed because we've got to God and we start to be who he is or be like him. And that's the transforming that the spirit does, taking the word of God. So, um, so the things you know in your head, God wants you to know in ex by experience. And the way you know them by experience is that you do them. Is that you do them. So, um, the ultimate weapon, we're going to still talk about praise in a minute, but the ultimate weapon in your armory is what? If that's true then, what's the ultimate weapon? Yeah, the ultimate weapon is that you have found God, that you have experienced God. That's the ultimate weapon. That is the weapon that Satan can never, ever, ever come against you. It is the weapon that you can come against him. I know God. I know him in the innermost being. Yeah, I know born again, yes. But I think it's an ongoing relationship because... When I was born again, I wasn't very forgiving. <laughs> I had been forgiven, but I wasn't so. But, but the ongoing relationship, yeah. So it's that idea. And that's what Satan can't do anything about. And that's your weapon, actually. That's your weapon. I know God. I know God. And if God be for me, who could be against me? I know this God and he knows me and he has said I am his and, I, and he is mine. 
So, um, Jude tells us to contend earnestly for the faith. Jude 1, verse 3. Well, there's only Jude 1, so just verse 3 of Jude. Jude says, contend earnestly for the faith. And he uses a word which means to agonize. Agonizing. This is what our fight is. It's an agonizing fight. Christianity is war. It's war against lying. It's war against unrighteousness. It's war against self. It's war against hypocrisy. It's war against everything. And first we have to fight that in ourselves. And then we have to help each other fight that in ourselves. And then we have to fight against the spirit of the world that is saying that it's madness to fight that. That we can't possibly win. And the way we fight is by experiencing the one who's calling us to fight. I hope that's not too convoluted. It's not in my mind convoluted, but maybe it came out convoluted. I don't know. I want to say the most powerful warriors are the purest. The most powerful warriors in the kingdom of God are the purest warriors. That's how we fight. Always, yeah. 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 So, if the most powerful warriors are the purest, and if God's word is sharper than any two-edged sword, and that divides between soul and spirit, what does the word of God do? I'll tell you because it's too late. Purifies you. And actually that purifying you means it kills you. The word of God kills you yourself. It kills the old self. Yeah. And the word of God is the agent through which you die to self. Or the Holy Spirit wielding the word of God is the way that you die to yourself. In other words, um, yeah, it kills sin, which is our bitter enemy. So... All Christians are called to fight. All Christ- God provides the armour. It's a spiritual war waged against sin, against the world, against the enemy, uh, who comes in like a flood. And when he does, we sometimes get afraid, or we often get afraid. So 2 Chronicles 20, sorry about the time. 2 Chronicles 20, no, I'm not, it doesn't matter, does it? 2 Chronicles 20, verse 1 to 30. Um, if we could just zip through those verses, so if somebody could read Second Chronicles 20, verse 1 to 5, and then go around the room reading more and more. Second Chronicles 20, starting from verse 1.
also enormous able to withstand you. Did you not, our God, drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham your friend? And they have lived in it and have built for you in it a sanctuary for your name, saying, If this disaster comes upon us, the sword, judgment, or pestilence, or famine, we will stand before this house and before you, for your name is in this house, and cry out to you in our affliction, and you will hear and save. And now, behold, the name of Ammon, and Moab, and Mount Seir, whom you would not let Israel invade when they came from the land of Egypt, and whom they avoided and did not destroy. destroy. Behold, they reward us by coming to drive us out of your possession, which you have given to us to incur. For we have known what events are spread on them that come up against us. Neither know we what to do, but our eyes are upon you. Now all Judah, with their little ones, their wives and their children, stood before the Lord. Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehoshaphat, the son of Zechariah, the son of Benaiah, the son of Jeel, son of Madaniah, and Levi, the sons of Asaph, in the midst of the assembly. And he said, Listen, all of you, Judah, and you inhabitants of Jerusalem, and you, King Jehoshaphat, thus says the Lord to you, Do not be afraid, nor dismayed, because of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow go down against them, they will surely come up by the ascent of this and you will find them at the end of the book before the wilderness of Jerusalem. Actually, we'll just finish with this verse 17 first and then we'll go on a bit. You need not fight in this battle. Station yourselves. Stand and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf, O Jerusalem, and, uh, O Judah and Jerusalem. Do not fear or be dismayed tomorrow to go out to face them, for the Lord is with you. Okay, what two weapons have we seen used in this battle. Jehoshaphat's afraid and he's, um, uh, because this enemy is coming against him. So what two weapons can you see that he's used? He's used prayer. The first, from verse 5 to verse 12, what he does is he prays. He prays to God. And then the second weapon from verse 13 to verse 17, The word of God. God comes back to him in answer to that prayer and gives him the word of God. So now that's like God giving us the word of God. We're getting this, you know, however many centuries later, thousands of years later, but it's God's answer. If you are in trouble and you have an enemy coming against you, you pray. That's the first um, weapon. And then you'll use the word of God. So you're, he, what, what um, uh, God says is, um, uh, sorry, I lost my praise. Um, then in the midst of the assembly, the Spirit of the Lord came upon, and God said, Do not fear or be dismayed because of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours but God's. And so we stand and see. So those first two things, we can see prayer and the word, but it's the third weapon that I want us to see here. 
verse 18, Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground and all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell down before the Lord, worshipping the Lord. The Levites from the sons of the Kohathites and the sons of the Korahites stood up to praise the Lord God of Israel with a very loud voice. So this is the third weapon that we're being shown here is praise. Uh, Jehoshaphat is afraid he prays, the word of the Lord comes to him, and then he prays. But uh, he praises. But I want to look at how he praises. When this verse 18 and 19, has anybody done anything yet? No. Have they fought a battle? Have they gone out? Have they done anything? No. So why are they praising God? They're praising God on the basis of what He's told them. Can you see? So they're saying they're praising God. Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground and all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell down before the Lord, worshipping the Lord. They're praising him. The Levites from the sons of the water stood up to praise the Lord God of Israel with a very loud voice. You have to ask yourself the question, why are they praising? Because nothing's happened. The enemy's still at the gate. They're still... Um, they haven't done anything yet. But they are praising God on the basis of his promise. His promise. This battle is not yours. It's mine. You just have to stand and see my deliverance. Now, this, this chapter is an amazing chapter, really. It's a blueprint of what we do when the enemy comes against us. So we come to God and we pray. Jehoshaphat prayed unto God on the basis of his word, and God answered that prayer with his word. And then they all bowed low and they worshipped and they praised God before anything happened. And I have to say, when I think, we were talking about Laura before, and I know, sorry for people who don't know her, but most people would know Laura. She was praising God before anything happened. She was praising God before she went in for the surgery. She was praising God and everybody knew it. She trusted God. She, she stood on his promises. Now that's a battle of great magnitude. She's had a brain tumour that's been growing in her brain for the last two or three years. She's whatever she is in her 30s. I mean, you know, can you imagine? Maybe you can, I don't know, but that's a hard thing to walk around with. And, and she's been walking around trusting God in that. And she's been praising him for what she believed he would do even before she's gone into the hospital. You see, the thing is, what was she... Oh, I can't take Laura. Let's take Jehoshaphat. What is Jehoshaphat trusting? He's trusting God's word, his promise. This is not your battle, it's mine. Stand and see my deliverance. What happens next? 20 to 22. They rose early in the morning and went out to the wilderness of Tekoa. And when they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Listen to me, O Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem. Put your trust in the Lord your God and you will be established. Put your trust in his prophets and succeed. When he had consulted um, with the people, he appointed those who sang to the Lord and those who praised um, sorry, uh, when he had consulted with the people, he appointed those who sang to the Lord and those who praised him in holy attire as they went out before the armour and said, give thanks to the Lord for his loving kindness is everlasting. When they began singing and praising, the Lord set ambushes against the sons of Ammon, Moab and Mount Seir who had come up against Judah, so they were routed. When were they praising? They were praising God before and they were praising God during... Okay, so they're praising God even before they see any results. They're just praising God. They're singing praise. They're worshipping. They're sta standing up as a group. They're going out and encouraging one another with the truth of God. And then verse 23. Um, 
For the sons of Ammon and Moab rose up against the inhabitants of Mount Seir, destroying them completely. And when they had finished with the inhabitants of Seir, they helped to destroy one another. When Judah came to the lookout at the wilderness, they looked toward the multitude, and behold, they were corpses lying on the ground, and no one had escaped. When Jehoshaphat and his people came to take their spoil, they found among them, they found much among them, including goods, garments, and valuable things which they took for themselves, more than they could carry, and they were three days taking the spoil because there was so much. Then on the fourth day they assembled in the valley of Berakar, for there they blessed the Lord. Therefore they have named that place the Valley of Berakar until today. Every man of Judah and Jerusalem returned with Jehoshaphat at their head, returning to Jerusalem with joy, for the Lord had made them to rejoice over their enemies. They came to Jerusalem with harps, lyres and trumpets to the house of the Lord, and the dread of God was on all the kingdoms of the land when they heard that the Lord had fought against the enemies of Israel. So the kingdom of Jehoshaphat was at peace for this God. For his God gave him rest, gave them rest on all sides. Can you see this picture? There's an enemy. He's at the gate. He's mighty. I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray. He used God's word to pray the prayer and God answered with his word. That's what will happen when we pray. God will answer with his word, which is the sword of the spirit. And then before you've even gone out, praise God. Sing praises. Sing praises to the Lord. During the time of fighting, praise God. Why would you praise during the fight? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Because you're going to be looking at the Lord and praising the Lord and still trusting that he's going to do what he promised to do. This battle is not yours, it's mine. I will deliver you. And then praising him afterwards. Why are they praising him afterwards? Because he was true to his word. Because he was true. As we choose to praise the Lord for who he is, for his promises, for the victory that we know is ours, that is taking up the sword of the Spirit. That is actually praying. They're all so interwoven, you can't separate them. Prayer, the word of God, and praising the Lord, they go together. They go together, and you cannot separate them. They're they're your weapons. As you speak out about God, enemies are defeated. As you remind yourself you're part of a victorious army, enemies are defeated. As you do your part to bring in the lost, enemies are defeated. Enemies are defeated all around. And you are Shamar, standing in your lentil patch. I love that picture. Standing in your lentil patch, this far and no further. I'm standing on the word of God. He is promised. So the question at the end is, will you heed the call? Honestly, it was a long day. I felt like it was a long day. I'm sorry if it was a long day for you. But you had cake, so that's okay. Um, it was a long day, but it's a long call. And it's, it's a serious call. God is calling. He is calling. And... And your, your only response today is, are you going to say yes or no? Are you going to say yes or no? And you can say no. You can. You can say no. Will you pick up the weapons? And the only way to pick them up is to get alone with God and ask him to show you. Show you how to pray and show you what he means and show you who he is.
and there's no shortcut. I'm a great one for shortcuts. There's no shortcut. And actually now, when you're on the, on the road and it's a long winding road, that reminds me of a song, it's a long and winding road, you're so glad you're on that road and that you didn't take the shortcut because what you're learning about God is so amazing on that, on that road. And, you know, the strongholds in your own mind, they're pretty mighty. I know, because I know that the ones in my mind can be pretty strong. But none of it's true. None of the stuff in your head that has become a stronghold is true. It's just something raising itself up against the name of the Lord. To hold you back. So, um, God is calling. What's your answer? Father, thank you that... Um, thank you that you bothered to call us. Thank you that... Um, this is a call to battle. Thank you it's, that it's a call to arms. Thank you that you have equipped us for the battle and that you will strengthen us and give us the courage we need. Thank you, Lord, that, that you will not leave us alone, that actually it's your battle and not ours, that you will deliver us. All you're asking to do, us to do is to stand and to take up the weapons that you have given us. I praise you, Lord, for it all, and I thank you. I ask that um, all the gaps in today and all the maybe anything that was slightly confusing or whatever, Lord, that you will meld that together in our minds and, and weave it together like that beautiful tapestry we talk about and that you will make it so clear to us, each one of us, that you will make it clear that we are in a battle, that you will make it clear that we have a fight of our own, that we have a ministry of our own, that we, we, have, we can know, really know that we have victory and success, uh, that there will be success, but that we do have to get up. Yeah. We have to arise. And I pray, Lord God, that in all the different ways we've talked about, that you would open those doors and show us those doors so that we would walk through and so that we really would do our part to fight the enemy, the enemy of souls that is drawing so many off to destruction. And I pray, Lord God, for all of that in, in the precious name of Jesus and for his glory. Amen. Amen. Amen.